You're listening to the Protectors of the Wood podcast, episode 44, Abby and Yuvia Escape to the River. Ricardo Richardson replied, For the sake of discussion, let's assume it will take two decades to become carbon-free. No one is proposing banishing all fossil fuels tomorrow. We are proposing a path toward running our whole economy on renewable fuels. There are many options already in use that can be quickly expanded under the right conditions. Wind, solar, geothermal, and biogas come to mind immediately. We also need major changes in agricultural methods, and we need to expand forest and wild areas. We must begin to do these things now. Ricardo turned to the trustees to his right and left. I've read the annual report of Evansville College. I estimate that about 20% of endowment is invested in corporations that make money directly from mining and selling fossil fuels. And there are many more within the indirect relationship to fossil fuels. Why not sell those stock and reinvest in renewable energy? Donald Irving eagerly took the mic. Do you know what would happen if all universities and pension funds followed your advice? I'm sure most of you have no idea. Such a policy would destroy our infrastructure. I would be fired for doing anything so stupid. Okay, then as I understand it, all the hundreds of endowments and pension funds that have already disinvested from the fossil fuel industry or are doing so gradually should already have bankrupt our country, even the whole globe. But that is not happening. Why do you think that is? Bill Sandman hurried to the mic again. In his flat voice, conveying no feeling at all, he said, Uh, thank you very much, Professor Richardson. We're grateful for your ideas and suggestions. And now it's time to hear from a student. The crowd was shocked. The trustees' dismissal of Professor Richardson, a popular and famous faculty member, was unexpected and rude. Professor Richardson simply went on speaking. Mr. Sarman, as Sarah Williams said at the beginning of this meeting, a faculty member and a student will be given 15 minutes each to discuss the issues. May I please use my time productively rather than argue about what I am allowed to say? Yes, go ahead and use your time, but make it relevant to the subject at hand, which is our task to oversee the investments of the Evansville College Endowment. Yes, and I gather from what has already been said that you see maximizing the profit of these investments as your primary goal? Yes, not just our primary goal, but our only goal. Ah, thank you. That's precisely the issue we are disputing. I assume you agree that Evansville College is a complex community of students, faculty, 
alumni, and employees of various kinds. Yes, of course. Now, I hope you agree that each part of this community and its overall environment are important and relevant? Yes, go on. We don't have all day. Ah, I also hope you agree that the Evansville College Endowment exists to best serve the interests and needs of this community. <sighs> Professor Richardson surveyed the audience, looking people in the eye. I will maintain that the interests and needs of this community are not served by a single focus on profit. Please don't weary us. There is no use in arguing that position. We are given our task by the Evansville College bylaws. Hear me out. I'm about to finish. Like all of you, I'm aware that we have students from all over our country Indeed, from all over the world. Many students come from neighborhoods and countries that suffer from droughts, wildfires, civil wars, floods, widespread disease, and industrial accidents. Many do not have decent shelter, water, or medical resources like doctors and medications. Would you agree that the Evansville community includes or has any moral obligation to the neighborhoods and countries that I am describing? Do any of the Evansville trustees care about the neighborhoods and homelands of our students, faculty, or employees? Sandman was furious. You, you dare to say that? How would you suggest we solve every problem on earth? Please, Professor Richardson, that's enough. Mr. Sandman, I am simply suggesting that if we truly see our college as a community, we have responsibilities more complex than profit alone. Of course, our college needs money, and we appreciate your expertise in providing it. But we are neglecting to see that the climate change, social justice, and health are part of our moral obligations. Do we want to financially support enterprises that create suffering and destruction and ultimately endanger our whole world? Maximizing profit to build another expensive new athletic facility may not be the most important variable at this very stressful moment. Also, I noticed that the new gymnasium will be named- Th That's enough. We've heard enough. We are not here to make judgments on social problems or scientific issues. Now, since you're finished, we'll move on to our student speaker. And by the way, only 10 minutes left is on our schedule. Sandman's tone of voice was hostile and contemptuous. He obviously considered this whole exercise to be entirely irrelevant to his job and the world as he knew it. No one knew how to react. Abby struggled again with the endless sound of muttering, as if a million Bill Sandmans were speaking at once. Conversations broke out among small groups. The crowd expected Sarah to take the stage, but as the seconds flew by, Abby began to hear her own name, a sort of chant that grew in volume. 
and continued to grow until she fell into a major panic. She became aware of an argument between little John and a woman. Turning her head, she saw Zoe pleading with little John. Let me hear her. She's with us. Zoe whispered. It's that Jerry Norris in a bunch of hired hands. They're trying to create a mess or make you look bad or something. End this delay. Do something fast. Suddenly, Sarah joined them and said, Abby, I've changed my mind. Please go on stage and say something. You must, or we'll have chaos. Just thank the crowd. Tell them about the staff meeting tomorrow night in the student center. Thank Roberto. Even our friends are caught up in this outburst. You can't walk out now, and I can't fill your shoes. They want to see you. Abby put her face in her hands. Sarah leaned over and spoke in Abby's ear. This crowd is angry at the way the meeting is ending. They're hoping for some inspiration. Come on, we'll both go on stage. Abby had an idea. Little John, Juvia, wait for me right at those giant doors. After I speak, we'll escape through Hamilton Hall. Little John nodded. Abby followed Sarah up onto the stage. Sarah smiled at the audience, clearly enjoying the excitement. She took the mic and said, We're honored to welcome Abby Chapman to Evansville College and to our student group. We hope to see her often and hope to visit her groups in Middletown and Rivergate. Sarah looked at Abby. A long round of applause went out. Students raised their cell phones at arm's length and snapped pictures. Abby was thinking, Oh, help me. I have no idea what I'm doing. She looked out on the vast crowd and saw friendly faces. The atmosphere became warm and welcoming. She found a few words that felt right. I've been wanting to come here for weeks. Her voice rang out over the crowd and all were silent. So many here in Evansville have welcomed us and we feel at home among you. We're eager to join you in events to come. I'm thinking particularly of the climate change conferences coming up in River City. I love it that we're all living along the river and I've dreamed of creating an armada of boats to travel to River City for the United Nations conferences. So, I hope we'll be seeing a lot of each other. To the reporters and the media people out there, I apologize for not granting interviews, but I've been overwhelmed and just need to be quiet for a while and stay with friends. We have others here today to represent Middletown and Rivergate. The crowd clapped and cheered. This was just the sort of thing they needed. Our deepest gratitude goes out to all of you, and especially to Professor Richardson, staff members, the Thunder Rolling Band, and the trustees for having the courage to work together and begin this conversation. I have just one request. Please continue this dialogue. 
I say this to all of you. Don't give up. Remember, we're all relatives. She bowed her head to thunderous applause and then turned and joined Little John and Yuvia at the doorway. He escorted them inside and past the security guards. They hurried down a long hall paneled with dark wood. Abby felt very secure with Yuvia and Little John. He clearly knew where he was going and what he wanted to do. Yuvia was calm and seemed to be enjoying herself. They passed by a wide door that opened onto a large conference room. Paintings lined the walls. A well-dressed group, including the trustees, were talking and sampling an assortment of breakfast food on an enormous oval table. Abby glanced in and met the eyes of two women. Both were trustees of the United Church of Middletown. They froze in shock for a moment. Yuvia hissed at Abby. Come on, come on. They ran down the hall to catch up with little John. Don't stop like that. They quickly descended two flights of stairs to a bare basement. He waited for them and asked, Where do you want to go? Yuvia explained the way to Alex's house. Little John unlocked a little used door and stepped outside. The coast is clear. He led them on small paths screened by trees, and soon they were off campus. Where are we? Let's hurry. They might know about your house. Do you have keys? No, and I'm not sure anybody's there. But if we're locked out, we'll go straight to the dock. We'll leave by boat. Got it. I'll keep anyone from following you right away by boat. Abby recognized the row of small brick houses. In a moment, they rang Alex's bell. He opened the door, a look of surprise on his face. They entered, and he closed it immediately. Alex told them nervously, They staked out in the archway across the street. What are we going to do? Alex, this is little John. He'll escort us to Yuvia's boat. Ah, excellent. He looked at Abby. I rushed back here to put something extra in yours, and I'm so glad I did. He looked back at Yuvia and gave her a long hug. Next Saturday, please come. She nodded happily. Come on. They went through the back door into a nearby yard and came out on a back alley. Alex waved as the three fugitives continued almost at a run. In what seemed like no time at all, they came out on the docks. Yuvia's boat was now low in the water at low tide. She climbed down and started the electric motor. Soon, they were quietly making their way upstream. Little John waved and gave them a thumbs up sign. They blew him kisses. Yuvia slowly motored up the left bank of the river. We'll put some distance between us and the college, and then we'll sail. There's a nice wind blowing upstream. The sky was overcast with thick gray clouds. Moisture was in the air. The sun was in hiding. 
time went by, Abby began to calm down. The murmuring had receded far away, barely to be heard at all. And yet, it was still there. The prospect of sailing began to interest Abby. She had been longing to try it for months and now examined the mast and the boom with the sail wrapped up around it, lying almost under their feet. Yuvia noticed Abby's attention start to perk up. Keeping one hand on the outboard motor, she lifted the boom and began to draw it back over the stern of the boat. Abby got the idea and helped slide it out from under the benches. Yuvia told her how to clamp the boom and the sail to the mast. We'll raise the sail going into the wind. It's safer and easier. She made a U-turn, and suddenly the boat was headed downstream. Pull on that rope. It's called the halyard. The rope was attached to a pulley at the top of the mast. Abby slowly raised the sail, which fluttered in the wind. Okay, take that rope. It's called a sheet. Let the sail out slowly on the left side. That's where the wind will catch it. Yuvia quickly removed the small motor and slid a wooden tiller into place. She looked carefully ahead and behind and then made a slow U-turn into the middle of the river. Let the boom out little by little. Suddenly, the wind filled the sail. More, more, keep going. Soon the sail was out at right angles to the boat. Yuvia guided the boat up the left side of the river. The boat rocked against the rolling water, splashing up over the bow. Abby was thrilled. They made very slow progress, but moving against the current, it felt as if they were going fast. Everything suddenly seemed alive, as if they were part of a new world. Does this boat have a name? This boat is brand new. We just finished it a week ago. I've been waiting to name it and paint my logo and decorations. Think of a name. How about the world is alive? That's nice, but too long. The living world? Hmm, not a normal name, but maybe. In fact, Yes, that's it. It's the living world. Our living world. This is fun. I feel so much better. Thank God. I saw you struggle. Do you want to talk about it? Uh, not now. Maybe later. I'll make a deal. I'll give you a long sailing lesson. Teach you everything. And then you'll talk about it. How long will it take us to get back to Middletown? Hmm, as long as you like. Really? What if I want it to take a very long time? No problem. All the better. It's a deal. Promise? Yes, I promise. You'll help me. Okay, let's start. First, I think we should wear life jacket. I have to teach you the difference between jibing and coming about. She grabbed two orange vests from the storage compartment in the bow, and they fastened them with Velcro. 
Now, notice that the wind is gusting and blowing on our backs, and the sail is out wide on the left side. We make at least some progress against the current and don't have to tack back and forth across the river the way we would if the wind were coming at our faces. Um, I'm not sure I understand. You'll get it once you actually see it. Um, let's say a boat is coming downstream right at us. Of course, they're supposed to stay in the middle of the river. But maybe they're trying to pass somebody. So we have to get out of the way. We can't turn sharp to the left because we'll run into the bank. No choice but to turn right. Watch what happens. Yuvia looked up and back and then slowly turned right toward the middle of the river. Pulling the sail a bit once you see it start to flutter. They call it luffing. The living world was now heading at a 45 degree angle to the opposite bank. The sail, still on the left side, pulled closer to the boat. As they drew near the bank, Yubia said, Now watch this. Let's say we have to turn left and bring your head down low, very low. She turned sharply back across the river. Pull in the sheet, duck. More, more! Suddenly the wind at their backs caught the sail and sent the boom flying over their heads to the right-hand side. The jolt tipped the boat dangerously on its side and almost tore the sheet from Abby's hands. That's called a jibe. <laughs> Lesson number one. Thanks for listening to the Protectors of the Wood podcast, episode 45, coming soon. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Protectors of the Wood book series. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Protectors of the Wood Dreamstone Warriors, an eco-fantasy about a group of teenagers that save the world from climate change. To find all of our episodes, visit us at www.protectorsofthewood.com.
I try just to do my best But if it's not right with you There's nothing I can do I'm lost before I begin God help the shape I'm in God help the shape that I'm in God help the shape that I'm in Just come back to me I'll be yours for free I'll do all the good I I'm stumbling through my day And there's no light upon the way There's nothing I can see It's dark as can be Hold my hand and see me through I'm lost if I don't have you It's just...